Morning. If you haven't yet, please go ahead and turn to uh, Genesis, the second chapter. Uh, we'll get there in just a second. Uh, but before we do, let's dismiss Kids for Christ as our children's ministers over there standing telling me to do that before I forget. We'll be in Genesis, the second chapter, where uh, Steve read just a little bit ago in verses 18 through 25. We'll start off in verse 15 in just a second, so uh, keep your thumb there because we'll uh, get there in just a sec. There is on the inside of the bulletin there a place for you to take notes if you'd like, and we'll be going through uh, that basic outline today. Um, So uh, be following along there. Let's go ahead and uh, pray before we uh, listen to God's word. Father in heaven, it's our honor to be here today. Father, you've created us with purpose. You've intentionally made us a certain kind of way so that we could become people who know you and love you and manifest your glory. So Father, as we read this scripture, as we sing these songs as we pray these prayers today as the as the people of God we ask that your spirit would fill us and feed us so that we could continue to become people who are in your likeness after your image making known your goodness and your glory through our lives so father as we read what you have to tell us today please inform us and instruct us so that we would be in more more and more ways the person you created us to be We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, the innocence of uh, children, as we all know, is sometimes an interesting mix of uh, wisdom and humor. And, you know, kids can sometimes say sort of the funniest things. Some of you remember some shows back in the day where uh, someone, like like Bill Cosby most recently, they used to do it with other people, would, would bring a kid up and ask them questions, and they would say something crazy, and everybody would say, oh, isn't that cute, and, and, and laugh at the kids. Well, well they asked some, some questions of these kids uh, about marriage, about the marriage relationship, and uh, what their expectations were. And these are kids about 7 to 10 years old, and, and so they were asked questions like this. How do you decide who to marry? Well, Alan, who's 10, obviously a wise young man, said, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. He said, like, if you like sports, she should like it, that you like it, and she should keep keep the chips and the dips coming. I don't know how he learned that early on, but apparently... Apparently, Alan listens to his dad and notices what goes on. NFL started this past Thursday, amen? No, I'm just... How can a stranger tell... This is the next question that was asked. How can a stranger tell if two people are married? Eddie, age six, says, Married people usually look happy to talk to other people. (laughs) Uh, Derek, age eight, said, You might have to guess, based on whether they seem to be yelling... At the same kids. This girl uh, answered the question, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? She says both don't want any more kids. 
this one was, uh, this, this question was asked, what do most people do on a date? And uh, Lynette, who was eight, uh, she said, dates are for having fun. And people should use them to get to know each other. Sounds good. And then she said, even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. Uh, this other kid said, on the first date, they usually just tell each other lies. And usually that gets the other person interested enough to go for a second date. Not that any of us have ever actually done that, uh, Dogney. Um, no, actually, I was, I was the one who uh, probably did that more than she did. Um, Roberta, age seven, a- answered this question. The question was, how would the world be different if people didn't get married? Roberta, who apparently knows of which she speaks, said the world would be different if people didn't get married. But you could be sure of one thing. The boys would still come chasing after us just the same as they do now. And Ricky, age 10, uh, answered this question. How would you make a marriage work? Uh, Ricky says, tell your wife she looks pretty uh, even if she looks like a truck. Uh, Words not exactly to live by there. Uh, we're going to talk about marriage today and, 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 and the idea of what God designed for that marriage relationship. It's funny how, how incredibly different we are as men and women. It, it, it's amazing to me how different we are. And, and the more you get into a marriage relationship, it's almost like the more you learn those differences in lots of ways. Uh, if any of you have spent uh, five minutes with my wife and I in a life group or in a Sunday school class or really any situation for that matter, uh, then you realize that we are very different people. And I'm sure that's the case uh, for you and your marriage. There was a study that showed how men and women reported their own needs, uh, reported their own needs. And the top five things that they found for the major needs of men and women is this. The five major needs of women were affection, conversation, honesty and openness, financial support, and family commitment. (laughs) All good things. And, of course, uh, men said, number one, sexual fulfillment. Number two, recreational companionship, an attractive spouse, domestic support, and admiration. Uh, None of those are the same, (laughs) if you'll notice. (laughs) Not one of those from one list uh, matches the reported needs of the other. So, so why in the world? At the beginning of God's written word in Genesis, in the garden, in the, in the garden before the fall, when a perfect relationship was being experienced between God and Adam and Eve, why would God give us a design for two incredibly different beings to come together as one in a relationship. Obviously, there must be more going on in this relationship than just uniformity. And the question is, around what is your unity going to be based in that marriage? The unity of that marriage must be something other than those self-reported needs of men and women. So I want to start off with a question. I want to start off with a quick question. What if everything you've been told about something in life was a lie? What if, what if everything you've been told 
or grown up thinking or being raised with when it came to this issue of marriage was not really the whole truth. Now, this isn't the case with all of us, but the world wants to tell us something about marriage that has really, frankly, nothing to do with what God's Word calls us to in marriage. The world wants to raise you with the ridiculous idea that marriage is about your happiness. And how how many of us went into relationships with that kind of thought and assumption in mind? How many of us have gone into relationships, not just in our marriage, but with one another, with that kind of idea in our hearts that, that this is about my happiness, this relationship is about me? If you'll remember from last week, from Genesis, in the second chapter, from from verses 4 to 17, we learn that God is in the business of planting people. God is in the business of planting people. If you're taking notes, this is a good thing to write down. He's in the business of planting people so that he can have relationship with them. Notice the direction of that. He planted people. He's the one making this action happen. He planted people so that he can have a relationship with them in a way that makes people grow. In a way that makes people grow to make known his goodness. It's almost from top down, back to top kind of a a direction. He plants us so that we will grow to demonstrate his likeness and his goodness. And so the question, the question as it relates to marriage is this. Is my relationship with my spouse, producing more of God's goodness in us. I think that's a good way to apply what we're going to talk about here in just a second. Is my relationship with my spouse, and this this applies to any relationship. We recognize that not every one of us here is married. So any relationship is about whether or not is producing God's goodness in us. It's a big difference and how we perceive this. So to see God's design for marriage, we need to look in Genesis, the second chapter, verses 18 through 25 here, but we're going to start in verse 15. If you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and read that with me here in verse 15 in the second chapter. It says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. He put us in the garden, in verse 15, to work it and to keep it, to tend to it. That's where we get this idea that God, the master gardener, is planting people. And if we are to reflect him, we have the same kind of job. Now, this garden, beautiful though it was, apparently, we even see this from the text, apparently even the garden at the beginning needed work. The garden needed some work. It needed tending. It needed cultivating. It needed to be expanded, to be diversified, and to be protected. That's the idea behind working it and and keeping it, tending to it. God expected Adam and Eve to use their knowledge and their skill, and especially, as we're seeing today, their partnership together, their partnership with each other, to make sure that the garden was capable of producing more than it had been. Now, this is interesting because we've always been taught that when God created the universe and the Garden of Eden in particular, that everything that God intended to be for that was there at the moment. 
but that's not what the text says. It says, in fact, that even in the garden, he planted the man and the woman to work it, to do something with it. If you remember from last week, we talked about how there was no rain. There was no bush of the field yet. There was no man to work and to keep the garden yet. That was in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 there. There was just a mist, it says. So it wasn't everything it was meant to be yet. Let me show you what I mean. Some of you will remember this picture. It's, it's the old school mobile phone. It's the first kind of mobile phone that many of you might have had in your truck, in, in the trunk of your car. Uh, it's the reason we call it a car phone, because it's about as big as a car. You kept it in your trunk, and you took it out when you needed it. Some of you might have had this. Anybody have an old school mobile phone like this way back in the day? A few of you here and there. Okay. Uh, you kept it in the trunk. It was the car phone. Now, when this first came out, uh, if, if you remember, it was an amazing invention. Uh, you could actually talk to people even when you were away from your home. It was this big, huge, walkie-talkie kind of thing with that big old antenna and a cord, long curly cord coming out. Now, com- compared to today's phone, uh, this old phone looks almost ridiculous. Uh, There are lots of people, lots of kids growing up today who don't even know what is meant by this thing here. Uh, You'd see someone maybe in the grocery store or at the soccer field with this kind of thing, and and, and I imagine that people at the time said, well, that's that's just ridiculous. Why would anyone need a phone at the grocery store? Well, now we all know we need a phone at the grocery store so that our spouse can tell us, don't forget the eggs or or something like that. Now, many of you can reach into your pocket and do what I just did. And you can take out something that does a hundred times more than that huge thing used to do. It's an iPhone. Now, of course, it's a phone, but it's also a, a computer Five years ago, a huge desktop computer couldn't do as well and as fast what this thing does. It's a computer, it's a camera, it's a, it's a personal jukebox. It's even a TV. I have my entire calendar. I have every one of your names and addresses and phone numbers right here. In fact, I can press a button and say, call dad mobile, and it does it. Amazing things. Now, That mobile phone, when it first came out, was good. I mean, it was complete in what it was meant and designed to do. But it wasn't everything a mobile phone could be or would be. There was still more work to be done. Now, this is is, is very good. Amen. No. But it's still not everything that it will be five years or ten years down the road. Any of you who keep up with technology some know you can't keep up. It keeps changing. Things keep getting better. Uh, The work is not done. We can't even conceive of what phones will look like and what they will do ten years from now. This is what one preacher says about the Garden of Eden in this regard. It says, this is how it was in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect, complete, but it wasn't perfected. It wasn't totally complete. 
there was a lot more work yet to be done. We imagine the Garden of Eden as some sort of tropical paradise. And, and it was in a sense. We imagine it as sort of this primitive club med where Adam and Eve would spend their days just sipping pina coladas and watching the sunset while the animals romped playfully in the trees. But that wasn't it at all. In fact, they had, they had work to do. Those plants and shrubs needed tending. They needed pruning so that they would produce more fruit, so that they would produce better fruit. Those animals needed to have names. They needed to be tamed so that they could be useful and helpful. Adam and Eve needed to procreate to bring more human beings into the world. It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Those offspring would need to be cared for, nurtured, protected, educated. And somebody apparently would have to make the pina coladas. There, there was work to be done. And as it turned out, Adam couldn't do it all by himself. I know it's hard to believe for some of you workaholic men who refuse to ask for directions like I do, but it's true. Apparently, men cannot and women cannot naturally become everything they are intended to become without the work of taking care of creation in partnership with someone else happening. So here in 18 through 25 is where God creates this partnership, this marriage. Now the first thing I want to point out from Genesis 2 is not actually in the text, but it's just a brief observation. It's the first thing at the top of that outline there. Uh, not number one, but before that. It says this, marriage is a pre-fall institution. This happened before the fall in chapter 3. In other words, it isn't until the next chapter that humanity rejects God and rejects uh, God's way of life and all kinds of terrible things happen. So things begin to break down then. So God created marriage as part of His perfect, uncorrupted, undefiled, not yet messed up plan for humanity. The fact that that's the case has lots of implications. Number one, simply that God designed it, that God designed marriage. In this creation story, we see that God looked at the man that He had made and He made an observation. He made an observation about that man, Adam. And, and the observation wasn't, I think I can do better than that. Let's try again. <clears throat> but He looked at Adam and He said, it's not good for this guy, it's not good for this man to be alone. He says, I will make a helper suitable for him. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, now focus on that word helper there for just a moment. I will make a helper suitable or fit for him. This is verse 18, a helper. When you hear that word helper, many of us automatically think of it hierarchically. We think of it hierarchically as if, as if Adam is the boss and Eve is his underling, his assistant. Like, like Adam is the head honcho patriarch 
and Eve is his secretary to do his bidding. We automatically think that. In fact, friends, as it turns out, we read a lot of that into the text here. What if you've been told that helper means something like that when it doesn't? What, what, if, what if all you've been told about some of that idea isn't actually in the text? What if you've misunderstood this word helper from the beginning? Let's look at what the text says. If you were to look up that word helper, this exact Hebrew word, in every single instance of the Old Testament, what you would find is that word helper is used 21 times. Two times here in Genesis 2, which means there are 19 more times. Of those other 19 more times, 15 of them describe God as a helper for humanity. Every single one of those 15 times describes that word helper as God's function for us. Do you see the implications? If God is the gardener, what He's doing is to help us grow to become who He's made us to be as people who are made in His image. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God. Same exact word, helper. The maker of heaven and earth is our helper. Same word there for help. Exact word as Genesis 2 for helper. So obviously there's a sense in which the original Hebrew word does not mean as much as we're taught from the beginning that the helper is underneath the one being helped. There are not hierarchical connotations, at least in this particular passage. So, verse 18. God looked at Adam and He said, it was not good for him to be what? Alone. God created him with a need, an inherent built-in need for a companion, an equal who would complete that perfect creation. How often are you going into marriage thinking, I need to be completed by someone else in a way that helps me become who God designed me to be. You see, it comes from the rib for a reason. As it's, in the Hebrew, it's the middle section of the man. It's not the foot. It's not the head. Christ is the head. It's the rib. There's a preacher who said that woman is taken out of man, not out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled underfoot, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Men, if, if, if we had that kind of thinking about who we are as men, as protectors and keepers, not just of the earth, but of our wives, of our spouses, out of our side to be equal to us, under our arms to be protected, and near our hearts to be loved. How would that change who we are as people in a marriage relationship where this is about the goodness of God being shown forth in that person? How would that change the kinds of ways that you interact with your spouse? If indeed it's not about you and it's not about your happiness, but it's about that person becoming the person God created him or her to be. How would that change your interactions? 
God designed it this way for a reason. And he designed it at the very beginning, pre-fall. That's the second here. The second substantial implication from the fact that this is a pre-fall institution is that we as Christians, our definition of marriage as being between a man and a woman comes from the very beginning, the very foundation of God's created order. In other words, it's, it's pre-history. It's pre-society. It's pre-kingdoms and laws. It's even pre-sin. What that means is that the marriage relationship of man and woman, and by extension the parent-child relationship, is rooted in our very understanding of who we are as human beings, created by God for a purpose. This, this is why we feel strongly about attempts to redefine the meaning of marriage. You cannot redefine something that was fundamentally designed inherently as part of that creation from the very foundation before time. That is why, regardless of how any legal body or judge or jury may choose to act this side of heaven, we should never use the word marriage to describe relationships that do not fit God's description and God's institution of marriage as a man and a woman. The third implication is, is a simple point. It's that God made us to need a marriage partner. Now, I recognize that God has given some people the gift of, uh, of being spared that need. He called them to celibacy. This is talked about in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 at, at length, in fact. Uh, Paul talks about that there, the case for being sin- single. Uh, so we recognize that there are many people who are not married. But for all of us, regardless of our current situation, married or, or unmarried, God created us with a need for a companion, a partner, a helper in the biblical sense of the word. We were made for relationship, and that is part of God's plan. <clears throat> Lastly, and this is where we're headed mostly today, this marriage relationship means that we were created with this need for a helper not just so that, so that we could demonstrate God's goodness in our lives and, and our spouses could too, just like any relationship, but so that our partnership does something. If God planted us so that we would as individuals grow, then our relationships with other people is about that same task. The final implication here is that this institution of marriage that God designed is all about His goals and God's purposes and not yours. How many of you went into marriage thinking that? How many people from your church took you aside and said, listen, you've got to think about this before you're married. This isn't about you. This is not about your happiness. This is about God's glory being demonstrated in you. And that's how true enjoyment comes. How many people had lots of folks from your church saying to you, you've got to think about this first? A few. What if marriage... 
What if marriage is about bringing forth in one another the goodness of God like we see throughout the creation account before this? What if marriage is about holiness? What if, what if we've been listening to the wrong voices and buying into lies that say that marriage is about making us happy when it's designed instead to make you holy? We're about in a second here to watch a video that, that talks about this very idea. It's kind of a funny little video. It's a little bit earthy. Uh, but friends, marriages are earthy. It's the stuff of our lives coming together in a way that is hard, that is difficult, that, that creates sometimes a tension out of which we grow. It's not always easy. But it's an important part of us becoming who God's created us to be. It's a laboratory for our growth. I promise to love, honor, and respect you. I promise to love, cherish, and protect you. From this day forward. Till death do us part. I remember our wedding day. It was awesome. I mean, my dress was gorgeous, and all of the flowers were so beautiful. And everybody that I loved was there, you know, all of my family. And the day was just amazing. I mean, it was good. It was really, really good. And there was this moment right before I walked down the aisle, and I remember looking up to God and just feeling so thankful for this man that he had given me. I was scared to death. Seriously, I thought I was going to pee my pants. I mean, I don't usually get in front of people like that, let alone wearing a tux. <laughs> Come on. I, I forgot to go to the bathroom before the ceremony started, and, and I kept thinking, don't pee yourself, and don't lock your knees, and keep breathing. And then all of a sudden, I looked up. And there she was. She took my breath away. I never wanted it back. Our honeymoon was amazing. I mean, we went to a tropical island, and it was just a whole week of relaxing, and we got to walk on the beach a lot and just spend time together. We were just so in love. We went to the street vendors, you know, and, and we were looking around at stuff, and we didn't have a lot of money, but I picked up this amber necklace, and I put it up against her skin. And I knew she had to have it because she was worth it. And, and then, then we, we went, went home. home. Once we got home, it was like something strange started to happen. I mean, it was like aliens came into our bedroom, scooped out his brain, and filled it with gummy bears. Uh, honey, are those dishes in the sink? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you know we have a dishwasher, right? What? Yeah, yeah, and you're really good at it, too, sweetheart. Um, would you not interrupt me when I'm watching TV, or at least wait till commercial? You see what I mean? Gummy bears. After the honeymoon, I had a sneaking suspicion that she was sneaking out at night and taking night classes at some college on some foreign language because everything she said made zero sense. Do you like this shirt on me? Yeah, looks good. So you don't like the color? What? If you don't like the color, just say you don't like the color. I mean, I don't even know why I try to look nice for you. Wait, what just happened here? Why don't you think I'm pretty? Why? Well, hold on. I do think you're pretty. Well, you never say it. I'm sorry. I think you're pretty. Well, you can't say it now. I just told you to say it. I mean, what? that totally doesn't even count. But wait, how am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to say unless you tell me what I'm supposed to say? I can't believe you don't love me anymore. I wonder some days what I ever saw in him. Did you know, in the mornings when she wakes up, 
her breath will melt your face off. He farts and then holds my head under the covers. That's not okay. Honestly, I'm a little scared because I think I might have married my mother. Well, they wouldn't have to act like his mother if he didn't act like a child. I mean, close the refrigerator door, pick up your shoes, take out the garbage. Seriously, how hard is it to obey? She can't cook. I think she's slowly trying to poison me with her food. Okay, two words. Road rage. Two words. Shopaholic. Have I mentioned he still has his comic book collection from junior high? Did I mention that she still makes fun of me for having a comic book collection from junior high? He's addicted to television. She's addicted to purses. And I don't understand this, but for some reason she manages to lose every purse she owns in the house. Seriously, how hard is it to lose something this big? I thought we were supposed to be on the same team. Uh, I'm still on the same team. Apparently you defected, started playing for some other team that you made up in your mind. That doesn't even make any sense. Well, you don't make any sense. Well, your gummy bears don't make any sense. Oh, you're stupid. Well, you're stupid. Well, you made me this way. Whose team are we on in this? And I don't just mean marriage. I mean this life. I mean this existence. I mean as people created to bear God's image. As participants in a world that is about His glory. And making known His goodness. At the end of that video, there's a part where they hold hands. And they say, same team. Are you on the same team with your spouse? That's hard because that doesn't always happen as God intended. And so it's important to have other people who are on that team with you. Relationships where it's about us growing, where where it's about you're about my goodness and I'm about your goodness and we're about together becoming the people that He wants us to be. That takes work. It's going to be hard. At times it feels desperate. But that project is worth fighting for. Because as, as we all know, the glory of God is at stake in our lives and in this creation. And so, so what are you here for? What is your marriage about? What are your relationships for? What is this church family about? Is Is church about what I can get or or what I can give? Is my relationship with you about what you're going to offer me, what I can offer you? Yes, in a sense. And the sense in which that's the case comes from the cross where we saw demonstrated for us that Jesus Christ will sacrifice Himself for the goodness of God being made known in our lives. That's the goal. Let's pray. Lord God, we have taken what you've made and what you've created. And we've usurped that project for our own for our own goals, for our own needs. Father, we do have needs and we know that you want to supply them in a particular kind of way. So we ask that as we participate in your redemption project, as your plan for the world unfolds, 
our needs for relationship and for meaning and for purpose would be that we enjoy you making of us people who are after your image. We reflect your goodness and your mercy and your love so that together, Father, we could continue to complete the work you've given to us. Father, you've made us different and yet you've put us together so that we could work as partners for the sake of your cause and not ours. So help us to do that as marriages, and as friends, and as family, and as a church body. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. If you're looking for a church home and you're a baptized believer and you want to become a member at First Christian, we'd like to invite you to come forward in just a moment here. Or if you'd like to be baptized in the waters and proclaim that you follow Jesus as Lord in the waters of baptism, as we stand in just a moment, we ask that you'd come forward. Let's stand and sing. I, the Lord of snow and rain, I have borne my people's pain. 